The word of our Lord from the prophet Isaiah. Now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Bring out the blind people who have eyes and the deaf who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say, It is truth. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved. I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as as fugitives. The Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I give waters to the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. The word of the Lord from the epistle to the Ephesians. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length in depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your holy word to our hearts and to our minds. May we be strengthened by it. May we be encouraged by it. May we be challenged and rebuked by it. May we be filled with the love of Jesus, knowing him and loving him completely. We pray all this in his name. Amen. We in the modern or contemporary West are forward-thinking people. We like to think about the future. We are always counting ahead, counting our chickens before they hatch, anticipating the day that is before us, looking forward to the days and weeks and years and months and generations ahead. We are naturally, it seems, forward-thinking people. Perhaps that's a result of the scientific revolution or maybe the enlightenment. I'm not exactly sure why we think so much out into the future and why we are such forward-thinking people. But the fact is that we are forward-thinking people. For whatever reason, it seems that we are we're almost like romantic optimists, always anticipating, always hoping, always dreaming, always longing, looking forward. But Israel was a backward thinking people. Not that they were a backwards type of people. They just always reflected back. They always thought about the past. They were always reflecting upon history. They thought of the future, in fact, as something that you would back into. Because you're looking toward the past as you back your way into the future. They were the original Doc and Martys of the world. Hello? Anybody home? Think, McFly, think. They were the original. They intimately identified themselves with their past. Who are we? We're the people whom Yahweh delivered from Egypt. We were slaves under Pharaoh, a forgotten people, and now we are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. That was how they identified themselves with what God had done in their past. After their deliverance from Egyptian bondage, Yahweh insisted that they always remember who they were by remembering from whence they came. We see this especially in their festivals. Each year they had a series of festivals that they would celebrate. You know, we often think of the Old Testament as kind of a somber and dangerous time, and it was dangerous, and in some ways it was somber. But they actually had more festivals and feasts than they had fasts. God commanded them to celebrate, commanded them to commemorate, commanded them to remember through feasting and through festivals what he had done in great faithfulness to them. The greatest of their festivals was the Passover. The annual reminder that Yahweh had delivered them, that he had passed over them as he brought judgment upon Egypt. That he delivered them, that he brought them out, that he took them into the promised land and blessed them as his very own people, a holy nation. It seems like Egypt, or not Egypt, but Israel was the original party animals. They were the ones who knew how 
to celebrate. They would, they would feast for several days and God had commanded it because God had been so good to them. So dare not forget your past. Dare not forget what I have done for you as my people, Yahweh told them. His faithfulness is the ground of all identity and the source of all hope. When we as Christians speak of hope, we don't speak of mere wishful thinking, just kind of hoping that something better might come. When Christians speak of hope, that hope is grounded in the reality of God's faithfulness in the past. It gives us identity as people because He's been so good to us and so faithful to us. In chapter 39 of Isaiah's prophecy, the Babylonian envoys arrive. And Judah is taken into Babylonian captivity. In the ancient world, this meant the end of a nation. No nation. None. Ever in the history of humanity. No nation ever came out of exile. Israel's survival was, by all accounts, completely and utterly impossible. It was a hopeless situation, a truly hopeless situation, because coming out of exile had never happened. Not with God, not without God, period. No nation taken into exile ever survived. But it's in the face of the impossible that Yahweh tells them very plainly, forget the past. Remember it no more. You can imagine Israel, its people scratching their collective heads. Say, what do you mean, Yahweh? Forget the past? You've told us throughout our entire history to never forget the past. To always remember what you've done for us. And now you're telling us forget about it? That's crazy. Again, we are forward-thinking people. We're reminded of this every New Year as we celebrate with fireworks and cookouts and family and friends gathered together. Perhaps we sing Auld Lang Syne together. We anticipate the new year, the possibilities and the hopes and the dreams of what's to come. We are constantly looking forward even in the celebration of our birthdays. We anticipate, we don't just celebrate the year that's behind us. Normally we anticipate what this year is going to be like. What's this second year of, of, of this, this little baby's life going to be like? What's this 15th year going to look like? What's that 18th year? What milestones are you, going to be, are you going to be passing in the coming days of these coming months as we add a, another year onto your life? Each new semester as school resumes and as new classes start up, we anticipate the future. We're thinking about what is before us because we are forward-thinking people. Even school itself is kind of a forward-thinking thing because we gather at schools, even we as a church gather in this school, to, to gain knowledge and to anticipate and prepare for what is to come in life. 
We're a forward-thinking people. You know, the future always promises hope, but always delivers challenges. It always promises hope. There's always something great that might come, something great that's just around the corner, some, some, some big change, some big improvement, some big advancement that can always be made. That's always the promise of the future. But there are always challenges that come with the future because the future is uncertain. The future is unpredictable. Yeah, you can predict it, but sometimes you'll be wrong. Each new school year comes with its own promises of hope, but also its own deliverance of challenges. And if it's a new school altogether, you know, you're moving from middle school to high school, or you're moving from this district to that district, or from this academy to that one, then we know there are always the promises of hope, and yet the deliverance of challenges each change we make in life, new job, new neighbors, a new home to live in, it's always filled with the promise of hope and yet comes with, brings with it the, the, the deliverance of challenges or the delivery of challenges. And some of us find ourselves in impossible circumstances. Maybe you're not currently in an impossible circumstance, but I bet you can remember in your recent past when something just seemed impossible, something seemed entirely hopeless, something seemed like against all odds would you possibly get through. Impossible circumstances maybe within a family, relationship tensions and brokenness and unrepentance and unforgiveness and bitterness and all those things. Struggles with finances and careers and dreams about the future. Worries and anxieties about the future. Impossible circumstances within a church even. Difficulties. Difficulties that seem insurmountable. In all the spheres of our lives we face challenges and sometimes those challenges might seem to us to be impossible but faced with the challenges especially impossible ones we encounter temptations and that's the danger you know Israel had a few temptations that they that they encountered when they were faced with their challenges they had a few of those temptations one of those temptations was to trust the horses and the chariots to which Isaiah alludes here. You know, the horse and the chariot in the ancient world, especially in this time, uh, that when Israel's being taken into captivity, these horses and chariots, they were the new symbols of power in the ancient world. They were fast and they were strong. They were symbols of war, symbols of power, symbols of defense and might. Symbols that we can provide for ourselves. We can protect ourselves. We can do what's needed. Symbols, the New Testament calls, of the flesh. That we and I and my and mine and our strength. 
Israel was tempted to trust the horses, to trust the chariots. They were tempted also to strike an alliance with Egypt, the prophets tell us. Egypt was the ancient powerhouse. Sure, Babylon's on the rise, and Babylon's at that point perhaps more powerful than Egypt. After all, they had overtaken the Assyrians. But maybe us and Egypt together, our old foe, our old enemy, our old arch nemesis, maybe us together can fend off the Babylonians. The temptations are real. And we have a few temptations in our lives. Going back to school, there's always the temptation to give in to peer pressure, to just try to get along so that we can get along. To do what everybody else is doing just to kind of go with the crowd and go with the flow and not head upstream. Not to stand out, draw any undue attention to ourselves, but just kind of fit in and eat through. There's always the temptation that we have when troubles abound around us to think that scheming and maneuvering will solve our problems. That if we can just do the right things and say the right things and connect with the right people, if if we can just get all those pieces in place, then we can meet our needs. We can provide for ourselves. We can protect ourselves and defend. Whatever the trouble is, it seems like the temptation is always real to connect with the right people, to get in with the right crowd, and to scheme, to maneuver ourselves, to hedge our bets. Yahweh is the Holy One in the midst of Israel. He's the Holy One in our midst and the One who does the impossible tells us as he told Israel fear not fear will either paralyze us and cause us not to act or fear will cause us to accomplish all of the wrong actions that we ought not accomplish to to do and to scheme and to move and to create even more trouble for ourselves it's weird how fear works on us and by fear here I mean not a proper respect that Israel's called to have for Yahweh, but that paralyzing and scheming fear, that, that anxiety, that worry. He tells them, fear not. Why does he tell them fear not? He gives them three very simple answers for why they should fear not. He tells them first, I have redeemed you. It's as good as done. I have ransomed you. I have redeemed you. I have saved you. I alone am your Savior. I alone am your Redeemer. Fear not. I have redeemed you. But he tells them also, fear not. I have redeemed you. He builds upon that. I have called you by your name. Someone who knows your name 
knows an intimate part of who you are. You know, a name, when you hear a name, it recalls to mind a person. It recalls to mind a history, a past. It recalls to mind a personality. Someone with a very unique name among us, sorry, Banks. Banks. You hear the name Banks, you immediately, you think of his face, you think of his hat. He's always got the hat. You think of his smile, you think of maybe some laughs that you've had together. Maybe you think, who's that guy? I don't really know him all that well. But you immediately think of him. It's not just a name. It's not just a, a conglomeration of letters that are put together in a pronounceable way. It, it's, a, it's a person in that name. And Yahweh tells Israel and he tells us that he knows their name. He knows our name and he calls us by name. In other words, I am intimately aware of you. I intimately know you. I know your past. I know your present. I know the things that worry you. I know the things that keep you up at night. I know that you're fearful of the Babylonians who are coming in. I know that some of you are snakes. And I know that some of you are trying your best to bring your families back together in faithfulness to me. He tells them, fear not, for I have called you by your name. And most especially, he tells them, fear not, for you are mine. You belong to me. You are my problem. Your problems are mine. Your anxieties are mine. Your worries are mine. Your impossibilities are mine. They are mine. If we belong to Yahweh, just as if Israel belonged to Yahweh, our problems, just as theirs, are His. He takes ownership. He takes possession. He takes responsibility. And if that doesn't put our problems and our impossibilities into a whole different perspective. Then I think we're missing the importance of belonging to him. Of being his. And so this one, the one who does the impossible, the one who declares to us fear not. He offers a series of promises. He tells Israel, I will protect you. I will fight your battles. I will win your wars. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I will defend you. I will protect you. I am your shield. I am your strength. Whom shall you fear? He makes the promise of protection, but he also promises them, I will be with you. So he promises not just protection, but he also promises presence. 
And if you reflect back over these last couple of months, that's been a recurring theme for us. As it was a recurring theme for Yahweh in the scriptures. I will be with you. What you go through, whether it's the fire, whether it's disasters, whether it's the sea, whether it's the desert, regardless of where it is, where you are going, I will be with you. And sometimes that's all we need in life when we're going through difficulties. Sometimes that's all we need in life when we're starting a new school year is that one friend. That one person who stays with us. That one person who says like Ruth to her mother-in-law Naomi, where you go, I'm going. Your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. Your family, that's my fam. I will be with you. Yes, Andrew. I will be with you. And he promises them also, not only will I protect you, not only will I be with you, he tells them, I will bring you back. Now, wait a minute. Think about what we just said a few minutes ago. I will bring you back. You're going to Babylon. You are going into exile. You have brought this upon yourself. And even when I've told you through the prophets The Babylonians are at the gates. It is impossible. You can't get out of this situation you've gotten yourself into. Even then, Yahweh said, but if you'll repent, perhaps I will spare you. If you will but bow your knee, if you will but humble yourselves and turn back to me, this impossible circumstance you've gotten yourself into can be undone. But here the prophet's writing to a people who are already in captivity. Remember the envoys arrived in chapter 39. 40 begins with comfort. Comfort my people. My people who are now in captivity. My people who are now in the midst of their impossibilities. My people who are in a foreign land. Who are having their identity stolen from them. By a pagan people. In the midst of their impossibility, Yahweh says, I will do the impossible. I will bring you back. I will do what has never happened before. And I can do it because before the days began, before I spoke light into existence, I am He. I will bring you back. And so in offering a series of promises, he offers them also a series of evidences. And those evidences come to us in the form of paradoxes, impossibilities, it seems. He talks about blind people with eyes, not just like eyes that don't work, but you you think about this. This is a Jewish idiom. Let him who has eyes to see, see. Let him who has ears to hear, here, it's, it's an idiom. It's a way of speaking. A blind person with eyes, is a, it's, a, it's a paradox. A deaf people with ears, another paradox. He tells him, I'm the one who makes a road in the wilderness. In the wilderness, that's where people avoid, where people don't go. And God's talking about making a road where people will go in the midst of a place where people don't go. I make streams in the desert. 
In the infertile wastelands, I give life. Where life goes to die, I give nourishment and refreshment. I am the one who makes a way through the sea. The sea in the ancient world was a symbol of terror because it was a symbol of danger and enormity. You ever been to the ocean? It's the biggest thing you've ever seen. When you're at the ocean, it seems like the sea is even bigger than the sky. It just goes on and on and on. And it's filled with nothing but power as wave crashes over wave. It's the biggest thing we've ever seen. It's filled with danger. It's filled with enormity. And it's filled with the unknown. Because who knows what might happen when you get out in the middle of the sea in a little boat. The sea was something to avoid in the ancient world. Anyone who passed through the sea was not to be trifled with. And Yahweh says, the sea, I make a way through that. I can bring you through that. I can bring you through that impossibility, through all those dangers, through that enormity, through the unknown. In the face of the impossible, the question before Israel was quite simple. Will you trust Yahweh? Today, in the face of our impossibilities, the question before us remains the same. Will we trust Him? Scheming and maneuvering, trying to connect to the right people, trying to meet our own needs and provide for ourselves. None of that will do. Only repentance from idolatry, which is false trust, thinking that this thing, this idea, this image, whether it's the image of a carved out tree or whether it's the image on the printed fiat currency, right banks? Those images that we put our trust in, that's false trust. It's idolatry. It can't deliver us. It can't meet our needs. And so the call to us is to repent and to trust in Him. And that trust is seen in faithful obedience. Only this type of response will do. Ten years ago, I preached from this text. Lindsay and I were considering moving to, back to Atlanta to help Faith Methodist Church replant over here in the West Cobb area. West Cobb, East Paulding. Ten years ago, I preached from this text and Things seemed impossible then. I mean, we you think we're a ragtag group of people. We were a ragtag group of people. And we were just meeting in homes. And we'd spend Sunday mornings over at David and Christie's house. And, have, you know, we had a couple of kids at the time. Aiden wasn't yet a year old. Imogene was just two. She was two, yeah. She just turned two. Yeah. Sunday evenings we would 
drive over to Sandy Springs and meet at Catherine's house and we grab the hymnal and sing a couple of hymns and pray together and read scripture together and just share with one another. Most Sundays I think we ran an attendance of 17 and that included the kids and that also included the fact that we were kind of double counting Sunday morning and Sunday evening because four of us are going to both. Things seemed impossible then and things sometimes seem impossible now. Perhaps your situation seems impossible. Maybe a situation within your family. Maybe it seems perfectly possible but you're still Walking out into the unknown, the unknown of a new school year, the unknown of a new job, the unknown of what comes next. And this morning we hear the voice of one who cries out to us, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. God is able to do the impossible. He does the impossible before breakfast. What's your wilderness? What's your desert? What's your sea? Trust Him in it. Trust Him through it. Because He can make a way. He's the one who does the impossible. He speaks and light suddenly appears. His voice can whisper light into the darkness that lies ahead of you. The darkness that lies ahead of me. And the darkness that lies ahead of us. And if you listen, you just might hear him whispering, Fear not, my child. Trust me. Father, we...